DW Africa Link it is a brand new week and another time for DW's Africa Link, bringing you the latest news from the continent. I am Okere Ngushinato. And I am Kai Nebe. Welcome to all of those following us on our partner stations across the African continent. And of course, right here on our Facebook page, DW Africa. You can also get us on Spotify. So coming up, reactions from Niami and Ouagadougou are coming in as heads of state in Niger, Burkina Faso and Mali have withdrawn from the regional bloc ECOWAS. We are free from this ECOWAS so hell with their sanctions and we consider that from now on there will be bilateral agreements with other states. For me it's a hasty decision. If ECOWAS had asked these countries to leave I might have understood but leaving ECOWAS on your own is daring. We also speak to an analyst on how this will impact the three landlocked countries. There are also countries that are highly dependent on their southern neighbors for food imports, for pharmaceuticals. We also will have a good healthy dose of AFCON for you. But first things first, it's the world news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyinge. The United States says there will be a very consequential response to a drone attack which killed three of its troops in Jordan. Dozens more were injured in the strike. U.S. officials say the aircraft hit a military outpost near the border with Syria. It's the first time a strike has killed American soldiers in the region since the start of Israel-Hamas war. President Joe Biden has blamed militants backed by Iran for the attack. Iran denies being involved. But was Iran strategically involved in the attack? Daniel Galach, Middle East analyst, focusing on the Arab and Islamic world, explains. Well, I think uh, Iran is involved in structuring and motivating this plethora of militias, mostly Shia-oriented militias in the region. However, I think these groups also work at their own behest. I think that is also the the plausible deniability for the Iranians is also central here. But um, as we have seen in the past, I don't not think that Iran is coordinating every individual strike. Uh, it's not in the strategic, strategic interest uh, of the Iranians to do that. And they see how that these militias uh, also operate uh, independently, but actually contribute to the uh, overall deterrence of Iran in the region. Israeli negotiators say talks in Paris to secure the release of hostages in return for an extended ceasefire in Gaza were constructive. But the office of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says significant gaps remain between the two sides. Protesters in Israel have been ramping up pressure on the government to bring home the rest of the hostages. Egypt, Qatar and Israel are taking part in the U.S.-led talks. Nawaf bin Mubarak Al-Thani is a former Qatari defense attaché to the United States and explains how optimistic he is about the talks in Paris. Well, I'm quite optimistic that any progress towards negotiation would be successful. However, all parties involved have to commit to the process. It's a hard process, it's a long process, but commitment to that process is vital for it to succeed. If we see past negotiations, even in this conflict, as a guide, it usually means that it starts off with laying ground rules, understanding of the parameters of negotiation, moving forward to setting reasonable goals, and then executing that. 
More than 50 people, including two UN peacekeepers, have been killed in heavy fighting along the border between South Sudan and Sudan. Officials say armed men from South Sudan's Warap state carried out raids in the neighboring Abia region. The motive of the attack is unclear, but the Associated Press and News Agency reported that the fighting was linked to a land conflict between members of two ethnic groups. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. The Italian government says it intends to put Africa at the center of its international agenda and growth diplomacy that was disclosed by Deputy Prime Minister Antonio Tajani at the Italy-Africa Summit in Rome, attended by 25 African leaders and representatives of the European Union. Italy also pitched a 5.9 billion US dollars development plan to curb migration from Africa. And Pope Francis says African bishops are a special case regarding their opposition to his decision to allow blessing, blessings for same-sex couples. He, however, remained confident that gradually everyone will be reassured by the church declaration. In an interview with an Italian newspaper, the Pope said African church leaders and their supporters saw homosexuality from a cultural point of view is something bad. For more news and information, head on to our, our website, dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jane Nyingi. Thank you, Jane, for that news. You're listening to DW's Africa Link program with the latest news from Africa and the rest of the world. I'm Okeri Ngushinado. And with Okeri is me, Kai Nebe. You can always be part of the show by sending in your comments to our Facebook page, DW Africa. Tell us where you're listening from, what is making news in your country, and Okeri and I will be here to read those comments out live on air. Okeri. Now, yeah, on to, I mean, there's already a comment here for our top story. Jimmy Vibe says, the ECOWAS has no use for Africans, rather for Western country. He is referring to uh, the story where we're covering where West African nations, Mali, Burkina Faso and Niger, have withdrawn from the regional economic bloc known as ECOWAS. This was on Sunday where they made this announcement, Kai. Yeah, and leaders of these three Sahel nations uh, issued a statement saying that it was their sovereign decision to leave the economic community mm-hmm. of West African states without delay or carry. Mm-hmm. Now, the three countries have had tense ties with ECOWAS since coups took place in Niger last year, Burkina Faso in 2022 and Mali in 2020. ECOWAS has called on all three countries to return to civilian rule and impose sanctions on all of them. Here is Colonel Abdullah Maiga, Mali Interim PM, reading the statement announcing the exit from the regional bloc. After 39 years of existence, the people of Burkina Faso, Mali and Niger sadly observe with bitterness and great disappointment that their organization has drifted away from the ideas of its founding fathers and Pan-Africanism. Furthermore, ECOWAS, under the influence of foreign powers, has betrayed its founding principles and become a threat to its member states and the populations it is opposed to ensure happiness full. Indeed, the organization has not provided assistance to our states in our existential fight against terrorism and insecurity. Worse still, when these states decided to take their destiny into their own hands, ECOWAS adopted an irrational and unacceptable stance by imposing illegitimate, illegal, inhumane and irresponsible sanctions in violation of its own statutes. 
These actions have further weakened populations already traumatized by years of violence inflicted by instrumentalized and guided terrorist groups. The heads of state of Burkina Faso, the Republic of Mali, and the Republic of Niger assuming their responsibilities before history and responding to the expectations, concerns and aspirations of their populations decide in full sovereignty the immediate withdrawal of Burkina Faso, Mali, Niger from the economic community of West African states than in Ouagadougou, Bamako and Niamey on January 28, 2024. Thank you for your kind attention. Yeah, so that was uh, Colonel Abdoulaye Maiga, Mali's interim prime minister. Before that, of course, Mali, um, Niger and Burkina Faso had been suspended from ECOWAS due to the military takeovers in those countries. Now, ECOWAS in return has also said in a statement on Sunday that it remains committed to finding a negotiated solution to this political impasse with all three countries. It said it had yet to receive any direct formal notification of the withdrawal from these states. And of course, this is due to the fact that once withdrawal proceedings have started, it does take a while. You can't just simply withdraw from one day to the next. I mean, that's true, Kai. And before we get reactions from our Facebook page, residents in Naomi and Ouagadougou have a say on what they think on this decision. We are free from this ECOWAS to hell with their sanctions and we consider that from now on there will be bilateral agreements with other states. So it's over with this horrible structure which wants to suffocate the Nigerian people or the people of the Sahel because they have decided to leave the French imperialism, the French yoke. Today, we are here to show our joy in relation to what we have really observed and also the courage that the citizens are fighting to really show what they're capable of in the face of ECOWAS. For me, it's a hasty decision. If ECOWAS had asked these countries to leave, I might have understood. But leaving ECOWAS on your own is daring and not good for the people, of course. Even if they're going to isolate themselves from everything, that's the way it is. Isolating themselves from everything at the beginning can't be easy. It's going to be like that, and we hope it's going to be good. That's all. It's a noble initiative that we really appreciate, because we've been waiting a long time for this moment. ECOWAS was initiated by the former leaders, and the principles that were established are now being broken. So I think we can welcome this initiative in any case. Those are some of the voices from residents in Naomi and Ouagadougou. I mean, Kai, we're speaking a lot about um, this ex- um, this exit and also getting reactions. But how will this impact Niger, Burkina Faso and Mali? I took this question to Dr. Jibrim Ibrahim, Director of the Center for Democracy and Governance in Abuja. Well, I think it has serious implications for both parties. For course, uh, it will be a big benefit in terms of their success in find the 15 countries over a very long period uh, of time, and uh, leaving three countries would be quite uh, significant for the organization. 
for the three countries themselves, it's also quite a risky move we're taking. They're landlocked countries. They need access to the sea. They're also countries that are highly dependent and their southern neighbors for food imports, for pharmaceuticals, and they have a lot of migrant labor that move to the surrounding countries to engage in economic activity. So where this decision to leave would be quite contra, uh, counterproductive for themselves. So it's something they should uh, worry about. How might the departure of these countries impact the effectiveness and the influence of ECOWAS as a regional bloc? Well, to uh, affect it seriously, when you look in terms of the land coverage, these three countries were actually a significant part of the land surface of uh, ECOWAS. But the main issue is that ECOWAS since the departure of uh, Mauritania over 20 years ago, has been quite focused on forging unity based on certain principles, including the uh, operation of democratic uh, systems. I think this has been good for the region overall, and the region is moving back. Now there are four countries within the class where could it have occurred. And the fear for ECOWAS is that now that this bad example, as it were, has been shown, there's always a risk that no countries will follow uh, that line. And if that happens, then that would be essentially the end of ECOWAS as a regional organization. I was speaking to Dr. Ibrahim, um, Director of Center for Democracy and Governance in Abuja. And I mean, Isaac, th- I mean, I mean, uh, Kai, there are a lot of people on our Facebook page, DW Africa, that are reacting to that. What are they saying? Yeah, sorry. First of all, uh, apologies for the quality of that uh, technical recording over there. And you're right, there have uh, certainly been a number of mm-hmm. uh, of opinions basically about this very thing. Um, Fidelis Ambe says they are not formal, so they don't deserve any formal notification. And if they have been, then that is enough. ECOWAS behaves recklessly, but expect formal things. Mm-hmm. And then we have a comment here on our Facebook page. Justice Alex says, it's a warmest welcome from brave citizens. And uh, Sa Surichi says, that's what they got. They're just acting out um, as a result of these military uh, coups. So, Kerry, as you can see, like we do have uh, varying uh, opinions about this, not mm-hmm. all negative. So we'll have to see how this latest move by those three countries is going to play out. Mm-hmm. And welcome back. This is Africa Link. I'm Kai Nebe. And I'm Okering Gushinado. You remember, you can also catch us live on our Facebook page, DW Africa. And also, we are also available on our partner stations across the African continent. Yeah, so catch us there wherever you're listening to us, from the islands to the mainland continent. We love to hear from you. But coming up, we find out how new laws in Sierra Leone in West Africa are helping women keep control over their land. Impossible and impossibility. No one be able to take my land for my hands. An impossibility. That will never happen. <laughs> 
So that report <laughs> is certainly coming up and I can assure you that is a very interesting one. So stick around with us for that. But first, Kai, we head to the capital of Sierra Leone, which has a surprising problem for a region with abundant rainfall, access to clean water. Now, a recent United Nations report warns that water shortages, landslides and floods, slope destabilization could increase due to deforestation. Exactly, Okeri. But there might actually be a solution because in Sierra Leone, there's been a new fund set up, the Water Fund. And the idea of this is actually to safeguard clean water in forests and uh, in a forest and also a national park located just west of the capital, Freetown. Now, Okeri, you can't believe this, but 90% of Freetown's population depends on this one water supply. Mm-hmm. And it's built and it's in, and the water comes from a dam that unfortunately was built to serve a population population of just 800,000 people. That's crazy. That's crazy because yeah. the the population of Freetown has now expanded to, to almost 2 million. Now this is obviously going to be a problem uh, for from um, infrastructural point of view, but our correspondent from Freetown, Claudia Anthony has more on the story and she joins us now. Young men in the Portuguese town neighborhood of Freetown argue over whose turn it is to fetch water. Today it's civil, at other times it is done with fists. Decades ago, a family built a concrete tank to store water and people sometimes refer to it as a well. Here, residents sound dismissive about the way they access pipe on water from the forests. The tap starts running around 2 p.m., but sometimes it doesn't until 4 p.m. So we hang out there, and if it doesn't run on that day, we return home or take our buckets here to fetch water from this well. There are constraints for those of us going to school. It's hard to even access water in the morning for bathing and domestic work. The tap runs three days a week. Sometimes it doesn't in a whole week. When we are late for school, we are beaten and even our parents accuse us of not being patient enough to fetch water. As citizens, it's heartbreaking to see us suffer for water. If we hadn't our community water well, many people would be suffering, especially nursing mothers. The tap doesn't run on time. When they choose, they open it at night when everyone has gone to sleep. I'm a nursing mother. We suffer in this area to access water. The tap starts running and within seconds, the supply is cut. We come to the water well, but they say unless we pay. The Western Area Peninsula Water Fund promises to address water shortages and related environmental problems. Interested institutions and persons can contribute cash. Every one U.S. dollar is expected to yield $2.70 in cash and kind, providing employment and other activities. Several local laws guard natural water sources in this forest. But with this green belt, homes and schools and other infrastructure have been erected. I asked the Minister of Water Resources and Sanitation, Dr. Saopato Hanna-Maxkine, how the government plans to tackle this issue. Those who have violated the law will be brought to book. How? In what way? They have their houses there. If you build a house in the waterway, not just for the fact that you're going to the green belt, but for your own personal safety, 
you will be moved because if the dam bursts, it's going to be human catastrophe. So government is in discussion in that committee where if need be, some of these houses will have to be removed. And we're even thinking of getting uh, physical boundaries, which we have started to make sure people don't go into the green belt. The minister explained the law will bite land grabbers and encroachers in the Peninsula Forest Park, including others undertaking economic activities such as rock breaking and charcoal production. 26% of the forest's 180 square kilometers, which was once earmarked for a UNESCO World Heritage Site, has come under threat. That was Claudio Anthony reporting to us from Freetown in Sierra Leone on that very pressing issue of water shortages in the country. But now, staying in Sierra Leone, there has been another issue that has been making headlines recently, and that's land rights. And across Africa, land is almost, in many, many cases, belongs to Mm -hmm. men and is handed over uh, from generation to generation, mostly in the hands of men. And it's in Africa, of course, a very important source of power. It's a very source of, important source of wealth, unless it's sold or grabbed by foreign investors and that type of thing, Okeri. I mean, that's a very sad reality. And in Sierra Leone, they adopted two laws that will drastically change both. Now, women are now allowed to own their own land, which is a, a really great sign for them. And they can also... Um, they get a say when negotiating lease agreements with foreign companies. DWC Rathiraj met some of the women who have benefited from the system and sent us this report from rural Sierra Leone. It's an important meeting for the women of this village in Sierra Leone's Tonkulili district. A visitor has come to inform them about new laws affecting their land. My land, my life. I'm here today to tell you about my experience as a woman and to boost your confidence, to empower you, so you can all fight for your own rights. Susan Conte works with Land for Rights, a non-governmental organization. Her mission, helping women regain control over their lands, for example, after their husbands die. And that's not all. Women now also have the right to sign contracts with companies so that they benefit from it. Land is your life, and that's your right. Last year, Sierra Leone implemented a number of far-reaching laws that are unprecedented in Africa. For the first time, women now have a legal right to own land, and to decide what happens to it. I have the largest land in this village as a woman. So I have here, I have there, I have there. Let me say, we all are surrounding the whole village. When Edna Bangura's husband died, people in our community took it from her. She went to court and got her land back. I'm very, very bold. As I said. <laughs> I'm very, very bold. Yes. And no one is taking that land away from you? Impossible and impossibility. No one will be able to take my land from my hands. An impossibility. That will never happen. <laughs> I picked this land in my garden this morning. So it is, it is a very, very advantageous because of claiming my land from the wicked people. <laughs> but it's not only communities who end up controlling land taken from women when their husbands die. Often, land like this is leased out by their families to foreign companies 
or in this case grow trees for carbon credits. Sounds good, right? There's actually a big downside. The leases give very bad terms and women lose access to the land where they used to grow food. The new law aims to help women regain control of their land from the families and the companies and if they wish so, renegotiate the lease agreement. That's exactly what happened to Susan Conte. When her husband died, his family leased their land to a Chinese company. But then the new law helped her claim it back. Since then, she has been sharing what she learned to ensure other women don't suffer the same fate. Though legal experts say the new laws are robust, a lot more work like that of Susan's is needed so that women across Sierra Leone can claim their rights. Yes, so that that story coming to us from uh, Sierra Tierage from uh, from our studio in Sierra Leone, Okiri. No, I mean that was a very empowering story to listen to, and I com I, I congratulate all those women being able to um, own their own land, sign it off, and also be part of the negotiations themselves. Exactly, Okiri. I mean, but Kai, let's move on to showbiz, or should we say Afcon? I mean, since. I know a lot of what we're going to be talking about um, is the weekend games, what's um, coming up this week. But we're not going to talk about Namibia losing against Angola on Saturday because I've switched off from AFCON <laughs> after that major loss. Yeah, unfortunately, we will have to get into that. Certainly, there's been lots and lots of magic happening in the Ivory Coast in terms of football. And to bring us up to speed with all of that and is in during our little showbiz report is our main man, Buba Jalo. Take it away. That's right, Kai and Okeri. Let's start with AFCON. This is the point where you two as Namibians should definitely close your ears. Angola broke Namibian hearts on Saturday in the Southern African clash at the Africa Cup of Nations held in Ivory Coast. In a match which saw one record for either side, the Black Antelopes ran out worthy three new winners against the Brave Warriors, who were appearing in the knockout stages for the first time. Girls in Dallas caught a brace, while Namibia were made to rule miss chances. Angola have now won their first Afghan knockout game in their history. Also on Saturday, the West African heavyweight clash saw Nigeria avenge painful past defeats to Cameroon as the Super Eagles secured a 2-0 win over Rigoba Songs in Domitable Lions. Adimola Lukman scored both goals for Nigeria, who faced Angola in the quarterfinals. Elsewhere, Guinea beat Equatoria Guinea with a 97th minute winner to set a quarterfinal showdown with the Democratic Republic of Congo, who beats the Mosala-less Egypt in a penalty shootout. The runners-up of the 2021 AFCON edition could only watch after a 10-1-1 draw was settled through sport kicks. And today there is a monster clash between host Ivory Coast and current holder Senegal. Remember, Ivory Coast had sacked their coach Jean-Louis Gasset after two losses in the group stages. Ivory Coast still progressed as one of the best three-place teams, but will face an almighty task against the omnios Terenga Lions. Sadio Mane's men have won three games on the trot and are gunning for a second successive title. 
Tournament surprise package ke verde took on another Cinderella story in Mauritania. The Blue Sharks who dismantled Ghana in their first match will fancy their chances against a Mauritanian side appearing in knockout for the first time. Finally, moving away from football, a controversial auction of around 70 items belonging to former South African president, Nobel Prize winner and statesman Nelson Mandela has been stopped. Mandela's eldest daughter, Makaziwe Mandela, had been behind the plans to sell her famous father's personal items, including his walking stick and ID document. The New York-based auction site gave no reason for the suspension. And that's all for Showbiz for now. I'm Buba Jalo. Back to you in the studio, Kai and Okeri. And thanks, Buba Jalo, for that. After that uh, pretty uh, surprising news about that auction about Mandela's Mandela's clothing and personal items, I have to say, Okeri, I'm surprised that was even allowed to go ahead. But uh, the latest news of that is, of course, that it it has been stopped. I'm definitely definitely glad they they suspended this completely. Yeah, and hopefully it won't get restarted. But how about AFCON? We've still got some big matches, obviously, coming up. Even tonight, we've got Senegal, Ivory Coast. Tomorrow, it's Mali versus Burkina Faso and uh, Cape Verde. Cape Verde tonight against Mauritania. And then a big one again, Morocco versus South Africa. That's happening tomorrow. Lots to look forward to. Lots of things for football fans to keep their minds on. But one particular player who's been also getting attention, probably not the best kind mm-hmm. of attention, is Victor Osman. Tell us more, Kerry. I mean, the Nigerian football star had to undergo a random drug test. And then this is after his tireless performance against Cameroon's indomitable Lions. The Super Eagles forward was instrumental in both goals that gave Nigeria a much-needed win to advance to the quarterfinals. I mean, Cuff does have the authority to randomly test um, players if they notice any unusual behavior. So this was not like any random, I mean, they didn't target him for anything bad. Yeah, nothing targeted. Um, Now we also asked on our Facebook page, I mean, what do you think about this? August um, Fagu says, because he wanted to bring victory to his country, that's Nigeria and his people. Well, Mumba Chibembele says that he thinks that CAF tested (laughs) tested Victor Osman because he's a man playing possessed. That's a good answer, I have to say. (laughs) Ernestina Dina says, it's passion and hunger for success that can drive a man to perform beyond his abilities and capabilities. Abilities. Well, Nigerian fans and all Super Eagles followers will hope will be hoping Victor Osimhen plays like that when they play in their quarter final. And from me, Kai Never, that's all we have for you today. And I'm Okerin Gushinado. Until next time. Mid for Minds.